We want to welcome Jackie Took, who's one of our deacons here at PBC, as she comes to bring God's word this morning. Jackie's the mom of three children, Matt, Nick, and Cara, Lloyd's wife, and she also plays a very important part in our community in the Pinelands Can. So Jackie, we want to say thank you to God for you. Thank you for your testimony. Thank you that you're the real thing. And we just bless you this morning as you speak God's word. May you know and be touched by his power in the name of Jesus. And we bless our ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to us through you today. Thank you. Thank you, Hilary. Good morning. So Craig asked me to share about something that God has been doing in me. So I hope to use my story and sort of explore the concepts of lamenting and prophetic imagination and show you how God wove those into my life. And hopefully this will encourage each one of you wherever you are in your journey with Jesus. About eight years ago, we moved to Pinelands. I remember one morning with the boxes still needing and packing, having a quiet moment on my stoop with my cup of tea. And I asked Jesus, what did he have in store for our family in our new home? I was surprised with the clarity of his reply. Two words, bring life. Now, at the time, I was pregnant with my third child, and I thought he must be referring to that because three kids is bringing a whole bunch of life right there. But the invitation was rather about bringing life to my garden. Strange, I thought, as I certainly wasn't gifted with a green thumb, and I had no clue where to begin. Also, I was surprised that Jesus was even interested in my garden. But the invitation was so compelling that I soon found myself in my nine-month pregnant state trying to dig and plant. And slowly over the next couple of months, I would learn more about green growing things and become fascinated. And surprisingly, Jesus would meet me in my garden and soil-covered hands became sacred times. Scripture became alive as well as I was now physically planting seeds instead of just reading about the sower and the seeds. And I fretted over weeds choking plants and I cringed as I pruned but was amazed with that when this really did bring forth new growth. And I came to understand the deeper meaning and taste of harvest as my family started to enjoy our homegrown carrots and cabbage, gooseberries and granadillas. And I saw the renewed life that comes from the dying that happens in compost. Well-known scriptures started to take on deeper meaning. For example, Colossians 1, 15 to 17, where it's a description of Jesus and it says, the sun, is the, the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. And it goes on to say, all things have been created through him and for him. And here I was experiencing this, experiencing Jesus in creation. And he was showing me that the natural world is his expression of creativity and love for us. Plants and the small animals that dance about, uh, sorry, let me say that again. Plants and the small animals that dance around them were teaching me about God and were nourishing my being, my spirit, and my body. But then the drought happened, and I was plunged into the panic of water saving, 
and started learning things about aquifers and surface runoff and alien vegetation and dams and seeing water as a sacred gift rather than a resource. And I started to understand how global warming was changing our weather and how our sins of greed and selfishness and exploitation had led to this disastrous drought. But that opened the door to learning about biodiversity loss and carbon emissions and ocean acidification and oil spills and wildfires, contaminated water, whales and turtles feasting on plastic, ice caps melting, deforestation, and most heartbreaking of all, animals going extinct. And I saw that the systems of oppression and exploitation that cause poverty amongst humans are the same things that are demolishing God's creation, God's artwork, and God's expression of love to us. But now I couldn't look away because I'd fallen in love with creation, and I'd come to see that plants and animals aren't just things, but they belong to God. And I couldn't look away because God was showing me his heart, that his heart was breaking, and to look away would be to look away from God. And so I would learn more and read and watch what was happening in God's world. And I did become very sad. And for months, I lived with this like gnawing sorrow, sometimes a heart-squishing horror, other times just numbness. It was about a year after this, I realized that I had been lamenting, though I didn't actually know that word at the time. Two insights emerged from this season. The first is that God was truly there in the pain. Emmanuel means God with us. And so it was a sacred time chatting to God about these hard things. I can truly say it was God's gentle presence that stopped me from rushing to the quick fix, let's do something to make me feel better, but let me ignore the deeper issues response, which I usually do. And his presence also prevented me from falling into the denial trap as if nothing's going wrong. So we would just sit and we would witness together. The second insight that I have looking back is that God was doing something in me that I didn't expect. I'm not sure how to explain it, but it was almost like a loosening of my grip on what I thought I needed and of how I thought things should be. Or maybe to describe it as like a melting of me into God more deeply and a melting off from me of the ways of seeing and believing that were hindering God's work in me. So that when opportunities for deep change were offered for me to do, I wasn't just ready to take them. I was ready to embrace them with joy and delight and relief and things that I couldn't have imagined myself doing, my family slowly started doing, like moving to become a zero-waste household, building and maintaining compost toilets, scaling down from having two cars to having one car with a motorbike and a bicycle, finding and cooking vegetarian meals that my whole family, three kids, can enjoy, growing more and more vegetables in the very challenging soil of Pinelands, and reducing our purchases from big corporations and joining a buying group to support small local farmers and producers. Now, I don't share this from a position of look how great we are or from a position of someone who's doing all these things all the time at 100%. We are still very much work in progress. But I share this as a, look what God has done in me. 
Look that I could make these shifts with joy. I mean, me who hadn't even known there was a different way of living. Me who loves convenience. Me who didn't have the energy, I mean three kids, to make any big changes or, or do anything that was yeah, hard. So knowing me and my heart, the fact that we were making these changes can only be attributed to the work of God, which started with an invitation to fall in love with his handiwork and then the invitation to lament its destruction. Now, Bevan's sermon last year, I think it was in December, was so helpful for me to understand lament better, and I recommend we all go back and listen to it. I have come to see that our culture is like overly focused on positivity and triumph, and in many ways, we as a church imitate that or mirror it, so we, we may miss out on the hard but good work that God does through lament. And yet lament is there in the Bible. There is a whole book about it. It's called Lamentations. And we find lament in many of the Psalms too. So I feel there's an invitation for those of us this morning who may be in a season of lament. You may be feeling sorrow at the state of the world or our country or our city or a certain group of people that God may have put in your heart. And the invitation today is to turn to God in this time. Sit with him. Talk to him about it. And be as authentic as you can. And there's no need to rush into quickly fixing things, mainly because it's unlikely that you can, and you may need to lament that back to you. But know that it's in the discomfort and it's in the disruption that God does a deep work. So let's just pause and be still and just allow Holy Spirit to show you if this is an invitation for you. you felt Holy Spirit prompt you there, just make a note of that. You may need to come back and spend some time with God on this. Like the many Psalms that start in lament but don't stay or end there, the story of God's grace in my life doesn't end in lament either. I didn't know it at the time, but I actually was on the precipice of despair. Looking back, I can see how close I was to giving up. But then God inspired a friend of me to give me a book called God Doesn't Do Waste by Dave Bookless. It's a testimony by a UK church minister about how he came to see that God really cares about the way humans engage with the natural world. I devoured this book. It resonated so deeply. And I quickly went on to read his second book called Planet Wise, which is a short readable book explaining creation care theology. And he builds upon the good work of theologian N.T. Wright to show how God's call for us to steward and tend his creation, which we see in Genesis, is actually woven into the whole big story of God and his people. Metaphorically, this book provided the theological soil into which I could root all that which God had been doing in my heart. Further, my eyes were open to the possibility the marvelous, glorious, almost too good to be true possibility 
that not only does God have something to say about pollution clogging rivers, oil spills suffocating his sea life, mining works scarring the land, precious topsoil being eroded, ancient trees being felled, tropical rainforests being burnt, fresh air smudged with chemicals, fish families collapsing, and the threat to all of us as global warming is causing climate chaos to our very life support system. Not only does God have something to say about all of this, but that his salvation purpose is to bring restoration to all of this. In John, we read that God so loved the world. We don't read God so loved human beings only. His promise of redemption is for all creation. And isn't this what Jesus taught us about the kingdom of God, where every tear will be wiped away and all wrongs will be put right? When God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven, the kingdom of God is not only coming one day, but Jesus says it's at hand. And as Craig so often reminds us, that every time we partner with God to bring heaven to earth, we are planting Jesus' future promises of restoration into the soil of the here and the now. But this takes a certain type of seeing, a seeing that light can be lit in the darkness, that hope can be birthed in despair, that God can exchange beauty for ashes, and that God can turn mourning into dancing and joy. It is a seeing of what is possible with God, even though it is impossible for humans. And I think of the story of the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, who turned away after Jesus invited him to leave all he had in order to follow him. And most of us are familiar with Jesus' reflection of of this event. Jesus says, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Like us, the the disciples are astonished and say to Jesus, but then who can be saved? And I love Jesus' reply here. Looking at them, Jesus said, with people it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. All things. The disciples couldn't yet see, but Jesus could see what was possible. His disciples would one day come to see, and we too are invited by Holy Spirit to see the impossible that God can make possible. And some call this prophetic imagination. My story continues. The season of of lament didn't only soften me to make changes in my everyday life. But God gave me a new way of seeing the canal that runs through Pinelands. What if it could be restored to a vibrant river brimming with life? I wish I could take all of you for a long walk along the Elsie's Kraal River and tell you the whole story. But let me just give you the short version. In 2018, a friend of mine, Rachel, an Anglican minister who lives here in Pinelands, had a similar vision of a renewed river and wondered if anyone would be keen to try and make this happen. As she spoke this aloud, I knew this was God's invitation for me. A few weeks later, I remember standing alongside her along the canal, actually just below the pedestrian bridge by the scout hall on the other side of the green school. And Rachel read these words as a prayer over the river. They come from Revelations 22, from 1 to 3. 
Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. Now at that time, neither of us had an action plan, nor any landscaping or horticulturist or environmental or conservation experience. We only had a dream inspired by God's word, a dream of a river flourishing in nature in sharp contrast to the pollution-filled concrete-walled water in front of us. In our prophetic imagination, we saw a clean river whose waters nourished people, plants, and animals. And so we started to clean the canal, picking up litter. And each piece of plastic that I picked up was for me a small act of worship and a reminder that God can clean my heart, clean our hearts, and clean the, the dirty world. Today, we have small teams of volunteers and paid workers who regularly clean the river, and we have plucked over 900 big plastic bags, sorry, big bags full of plastic rubbish from the canal. In our prophetic imagination, we saw nature flourishing, so we started planting first speckworm and other small water-wise plants. And each plant that we planted was a reminder for me that God can regenerate the desolate places in my heart, in our hearts, and in the world. Since then, we have planted over 220 trees along the river. In our prophetic imagination, we saw a world where everyone is working together to restore God's creation. And each person who's joined our team brings the wonderful and diverse gift of themselves. And this is a reminder for me of Revelation 7, where we see every tribe and tongue coming to worship God. Each of our planting days, I'm actually quite tearful as I watch people from various backgrounds and walks of life helping each other to lift and wheelbarrow and plant these big saplings. Now, I share these not as a picture of a completed work. There is still much, much to do. But for me, these are small signposts directing my gaze towards Jesus' kingdom. Prophetic imagination allows us to see what is possible through Jesus, even when the existing broken systems feel so all-encompassing and so total, as if there is no space to do differently or live differently. In this world, it is easy to diagnose what's wrong. And most of the conflict that I see in politics and social media ends here with an argument about what's the matter and who's to blame. But prophetic imagination allows us to see Jesus' invitation within the brokenness, to name it, to poetically call it forth, and then to start working towards it together, empowered by Holy Spirit. Now, I'm still learning about this concept of prophetic imagination. Apparently, there's a book one should read on the topic it's called by Walter Brueggemann, and I'm certainly feeling God's tag to do so. When I look at the many broken systems and places of our country, admittedly, I feel my ability to imagine a different way 
is actually so limited. So I've been starting to ask Holy Spirit to give me eyes to see. And this week, God brought the following story to my attention, which I want to share with you. The story emerges from Phoenix in KZN. I'm sure we all heard about it in the news where 36 people were killed during the week of violence and looting that took place in our country last month. Some have named this the Phoenix Massacre, describing the killings as being racially motivated. Now, within that context, a group of churches prophetically imagined a world where wrongs are put right, where racism has no place, and where all people are truly honored as children of God. IOL News reports that 24-year-old Zandile Mtembu of Kwamashu was attacked while driving on the Phoenix Highway on July 12th. She was on her way to pick up her grandmother's medication, and then an angry mob of people made her leave her car and burnt it. Now, members of the local church forum heard what happened to her on the news, and they decided to give her a new car. Pastor Justin Naidu says that he felt that this gesture would serve as an olive branch to, to Zandile Mtembu and to others as a sign of peace and reconciliation. He and many other church leaders, as well as community members, joined together what money they had to be able to buy her a new car to put this wrong right. Now, most of the time, actions born out of prophetic imagination may not make the headlines like this story, but just like yeast in bread dough or salt in a meal, they may be small, unseen, but they can make an impact in ways that we cannot yet think or imagine. So as we, as we work towards our closing, I just want to allow Holy Spirit to, to speak to each of us personally and just wonder what Holy Spirit is saying to you now. Are you, are you feeling weighed down this morning with despair, the way things are? Does a different way, a kingdom way, almost seem impossible to imagine? And Jesus, would you give us your eyes to see? Thank you that... You love showing us. You love showing us how you see things and how you see the world and how you see us. So we ask, show us what is possible in the circumstances around us. Show us what you're doing. Awaken your imaginations or your imaginings in us. Perhaps as I've been sharing, God's reminded you of something that he's spoken to you in the past. Maybe he's given you a prophetic imagination about something in your sphere of influence or maybe even beyond your sphere of influence. But that has been set aside. Is it time to dust it off again and ask God to speak to you about it once more? Jesus, I pray that you would breathe new life into words that you've already given us, that you've already spoken to us. Will you revive the prophetic imaginings that you've already gifted us?
And lastly, perhaps you have actually taken steps of obedience in response to a prophetic imagining, but the opposition is real and it's become hard and you need encouragement. Jesus, strengthen us as we grow weary and tired. Renew our vision of what you're doing and of what your kingdom coming looks like. We surrender to you again and allow your strength to be made perfect in our weakness. We remind our hearts that this is your work and you will equip us. We rest in you. Amen.